0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Good morning. It is Deep South Dining on this beautiful Monday morning. The stock market is up. The weather is beautiful. And Carol Puckett, how are you this morning?
1: Good morning, now. I'm great. How are you?
0: Lovely, lovely. All things considered. What have you been doing over the weekend?
1: Well, it was such a beautiful weekend. I did quite a bit outside, including, of course, fishing. Oh uh, yeah! And John caught a an official ten pound bass, so he mm. was very happy all weekend. I just couldn't stop smiling.
0: Does that mean there was bass ceviche for uh, for dinner, or did you put the little the big guy back or the big guy back?
1: Put the big guy back <laughs> because you know the big guys are healthy and have. You know, and reproduce, and so you put the big guys back and take out the little ones.
0: Well, speaking of fish, yeah, speaking of fish, I had a great piece of halibut. Uh, I think it was Saturday, Kara picked up a fresh halibut and and, uh, pan ate it in cornmeal, and the reason she chose cornmeal as an experiment was that I had been talking about cooking greens, which I did. I cooked up a big pot of greens, And uh, I made some yellow grits, and I said, you know, cornbread would really be good with this. So I had fresh halibut, cooked in cornmeal, cornbread, grits, turnip greens. I was feeling my roots.
1: Well, uh, I was right there with you because I saw that you posted it on our Facebook site, Cooking and Coping. And I have a note here to ask you about the cornbread uh, breading. So it, it... really turned out great?
0: Yeah, it was a little bit it was nice and crunchy. Uh, it was very light. It was a very light breading, so there was not a heavy batter. It, mostly, it was just a nice uh, nutty corn crunch to a beautiful piece of uh, fresh halibut. Tasty, tasty, tasty.
1: Well, I did quite a bit of cooking myself, and I find myself Going through the Facebook page and, and looking at what everybody else is doing and getting ideas. I mean, I'm, I'm just a home cook, and yeah. I love love seeing what other people are doing. So last night, I channeled my inner Leanne Galt, who's been on the show before, and made garlic shrimp with white beans, and mm. it was delicious and you actually yeah, made like a tomato base and then you put the white beans in it and you laid the shrimp on top and stuck oh. it under the broiler and i thought that was kind of an interesting preparation you just put the whole iron skillet under the boiler
0: yeah the the white beans and tomato uh, is very italian from what i can um uh, can comprehend but it's always good to see what Leanne's posting she's she's quite the um, accomplished cook and you know two of her running mates are going to be with us next week on the show Martha Foose and uh, Amy Evans have had a new cookbook and I and I, w- I got my copy yesterday and I noticed that Leanne is credited all throughout so Leanne's touching a lot of lives. she's she's certainly a Martha uh, and Amy's friend. I think she may be Martha's cousin. If I'm She's not mistaken. She's
2: Martha's
1: first cousin.
0: Oh, okay. There you go. That's, that, that's Mississippi for you.
1: Yeah. I, I remember when you and I ran pretty hard with Amy and Martha and Leanne. Can't keep up with those women. No, I can't anymore. more.
0: Those gals can rock. So when all of this is said and done, you got a restaurant in mind that, uh, when, when we're all free to move about the country, you got a restaurant in mind. You think you might want to, uh, to, to to
1: patronize? Well, I, I do. and Actually, I patronized one the other night. Uh, I had to come into town for uh, some business, actually, at home. And I timed my visit to coincide with, with the opening uh, of, of Bravo. You call in and place your order or place it online and they deliver it to the car. And it was the first restaurant meal that I've had in six weeks and, you know, John said, you yeah, know, this, this tastes so new, but so familiar. And yeah. that, our neighborhood restaurant, and it, it, it was really good to get a taste of, it was like a, a taste of home away from home. Right. Um,
0: yeah. A few of the restaurants are starting to reopen uh, for curbside and take out and to go business. We're still a ways away from inviting the public back into restaurants but but that'll that'll be coming in a few weeks but for now a lot of people are starting back uh we ordered out uh i think it was friday night from aplos in highland village uh same group of guys that, that on the manship and they have aplos which is a, a sort of a greek uh, uh fair there in highland village it was really tasty but i'll tell you what i'm really missing and i'm not only interested in getting back there, but I've been trying to run the owner down on the phone. So this is a sort of a semi a shout out to anybody who happens to have Jerry Contouris's cell number because I'm trying to get in touch with Jerry Contouris uh, at the Mayflower Cafe. I want to talk to him about when he's reopening. I've called his church. I've called employees that I know. And I've called <laughs> for, all of my friends who patronize the place. And nobody has... Jerry Contouris' cell phone. So if you have it, that, that's probably, uh, share it there's with me. A
1: reason for that. I don't think <laughs> Jerry's... But there are a lot of people looking for the Mayflower to open. open that's and right. It's not the only one looking for Jerry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Where in the world is Jerry Contouris?
1: Yeah.
0: Also, Walkers. I'm really... Uh, has long been a favorite of mine. Uh, I look forward to the reopening of Walkers Drive-In on State Street.
1: And... Barrel House right across the street is one of my go-to places uh, for lunch and Surin, the Thai restaurant. So I'm Mm -hmm. looking forward to getting back into my little circuit.
0: Hey, tell us about this new cookbook that's uh, coming out on May the 5th uh, from Random House that's a a fundraiser for the uh, restaurant workers. You got any details on that?
1: Well, just that 100% of the proceeds are going to be going to benefit restaurant workers Uh, and it's a digital cookbook Uh and there are 40 cooks that contributed their recipes and we we really need to find out how 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 you can access that by next week i'll i'll do that it's coming out may 5th and that's what probably next monday
0: yeah and i see there are like 40 plus famous chefs like allison roman dan barber bobby flay others who are contributing to this uh, in order to raise money for the Restaurant Workers COVID-19 Relief Fund. So just keep your antenna up for that. That'll be an interesting uh, way to support uh, restaurant and restaurant workers.
1: Uh, The other thing I was going to tell you that I've, I've been fascinated with this weekend is the Kroger Instacart system. Have you done that? The click. You go online and you order your food. Well,
0: let me tell you how it works at our house. Kara goes online, orders the food, and I drive to the click service and pick it up. And so, yes, we've been doing that for quite some time, and it's been extremely helpful uh, during the shelter-in-place time.
1: You know, although I still can't get raisins, buttermilk, uh, you know, any, any number of things. But what I have been getting are giant vegetables. Mm, now, giant. If, if you order an eggplant, like the first time I ordered eggplant, a giant eggplant plant came. So from then on, I started saying, uh, please give me an eggplant on the smaller side. This time I ordered baby bok choy and a red onion. And Uh I posted this on the Facebook page. The red onion weighed 2.6 pounds.
0: It's like a watermelon.
1: It is. Well, it's the size of a small watermelon or a pumpkin. And then the (laughs) bok choy, which was not baby bok choy, is 16 inches long and 9 inches wide. So I figured out what the deal is. Is they're giving you the heaviest, heaviest items. And I posted that on Facebook. It started getting some pretty crazy stories from other people that had gotten like a giant rutabaga. Um But I, I got a lot of suggestions of what to do with my two point six pound red. <laughs> you got
0: three. You got three or four meals out of that one, huh?
1: Yeah, and uh, Tim Pierce, uh, who posts a lot from Memphis, who says he grew up in Boonville. That's uh, right. He, he sent me a recipe. Uh, for, from Martha Stewart for pickled red onion. So I'm going to be pickling quite a bit of red onion this week.
0: So if any of our listeners have suggestions about what to do with extraordinarily large vegetables, Carol would like to hear from you because she seems to be on a run of, of getting the largest in the uh, uh, in the grocery stores. All right. You know what, Carol? There are two things I really miss this time of year. Baseball and farmer's markets. So when we come back, we're going to talk to Betsy Chapman, the director of the Oxford Community Market up in Oxford, Mississippi. And throughout the pandemic, they have continued to support the local farmers and their patrons. So we'll talk to her about that and what what fresh is coming in to the market this time of year. So stay tuned. Good morning, you're listening to Deep South Dining here on MPB Think Radio. Malcolm White here with Carol Huckett. And this is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. We have two guests today. Melissa Martin from New Orleans, who is a cookbook chef and also a restaurateur. But before Melissa comes on, we have another guest from Yachna County up in the Oxford, Mississippi area. Betsy Chapman is here. She is the director of the Oxford community market. Hello, Betsy. How are you?
3: I'm great. How are y'all doing?
0: Life is good here in the capital city. How about up your way?
3: Um, It's going pretty well. We're uh, experiencing the same stresses as everyone, but we are counting our blessings that we're able to keep the farmer's market going.
0: Well, we are so glad that you're here and we appreciate you reaching out to us and joining us on the program. I know that our relationship is primarily one based around the Mississippi Arts Commission and a grant that the community market gets uh, from us. Uh, you know, Carol's chairman of the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm executive director of the Mississippi Arts Commission, and you're one of our grantees. So we're really happy to hear from you. Tell us what's going Thank on. Thank you.
3: Well, we appreciate the support from MAC. Um, it supports our Music at the Market program, which allows us to Compensate musicians for keeping us entertained with live music every week at the market.
0: Well, there are two, as I understand it, two markets in Oxford. Your market, I believe, is on a Tuesday, and then the other market, I believe, uh, over at Midtown is on a Saturday. Do I have that right?
3: That's right. We're lucky to have lots of ways that people can get local food um, in our town. The Oxford Community Market is a midweek market. We're open on Tuesdays from 3 to 6.30 at the Old Armory Pavilion.
1: And how many vendors do you have this time of year?
3: Well, typically we would start uh, the spring season with about 24 vendors. Right now, due to everything that's going on, we're at about 16 vendors. And normally during the summer we get up to 40 vendors. Um, Our market operates year-round, so we're spring, summer, fall, and now we have a winter market season, too.
1: So is it all all
3: food, or do you have
1: uh, other home products or art or anything like that?
3: It's a primarily food-focused market, so we have a little bit of everything from um, all kinds of produce just about everything that can be grown in North Mississippi bread baked goods um, chicken eggs, duck eggs, all kinds of pickles jams jellies local honey, grass-fed beef, Mississippi Gulf shrimp uh, We have a few items that are can be used in home, the home or garden like handmade soaps and um, cutting boards things like that and then during the holidays we have, um, a holiday market series where we have a wider variety of arts and craft items. But mostly it's, it's about the food. Especially well, right us. now when... Oh, go ahead. No, no. Keep talking. You're good. Well, especially right now, um, our market is essentially operating as like a grocery store. Um, we usually, during normal operations, have music every week and special events, kids activities, cooking demos and tastings. But because of the crisis, we had to put all that on hold and just focus on getting customers in and out to shop for groceries. How has it changed? Like, what measures have you had to
1: take to uh, work in social distancing and the other guidelines?
3: Sure. Well, like every other essential business, we've had to take a lot of steps and do it quickly. Uh, We felt a really strong obligation to stay open to support our farmers, but We only wanted to do it if we could assure ourselves and our customers that we could do it safely and responsibly. So lots of signage, a different market layout with our vendors spread way, way out, six to ten feet between each booth space, directions for customers, hand sanitizing stations, um, asking customers not to touch goods but to allow the vendor to bag it for them. Um, Usually we encourage gathering and hanging around and, kids playing at the market, and we've had to ask customers to get in and shop quickly and get out quickly, uh, keep six feet between uh, each customer. So lots of little things that we're not used to that are really counterintuitive to how we operate because normally the market is rollicking, fun, families hanging out, kids playing together, music playing. We had to kind of put all that on the back burner right now and focus on safety, Well, speaking of safety,
1: I was reading about some other farmer's markets. I think this was, uh, oh, I can't remember where they were, but said that they had to go to cashless payments, you know, because handling money has become an issue. Has that been anything that you've had to address or have you thought about that?
3: It has been. Um, A lot of our vendors were already set up with cashless payment systems. For those who didn't have the technology, the market set up a system that they could use because we didn't want to leave anybody out. We wanted to support our vendors in every way possible. Um, And then we also started, in the middle of all this, um, an online farmer's market where we offer um, curbside pickup on Tuesdays so people don't even have to get out into the market space. And that's been a huge undertaking, but also we've got a great response to it, and it's resulted in a lot of increased sales for our vendors.
0: So your market physically is in the old Armory building right off of University, Betsy?
3: Yes. Yeah, it's a great space, very visible, uh, open air, but still we wanted to take all the necessary precautions. I'll
0: tell you a little funny story about that building, and it'll also tell you how old I am. Back in the day, they used to have dances there, and we would drive over from Boonville to attend uh, dances at the Oxford Armory. Of course, they did that. you
1: were really hip and cool. (laughs) I don't know about (laughs) that.
0: But it's great now that it's full circle. The bands are back playing in the armory, but this time it isn't a high school dance. It's actually a farmer's market, community market.
3: Yeah, but we do have farmers who will dance. Uh, It's happened many times. So. Tell That's me, uh, how many farmers uh, uh,
0: support a market like yours, uh, Betsy? How, what What is the sort of inventory of farmers who bring stuff in up in that part of the country?
3: Well, we have quite a few. Um, we have our regulars who are at the market every single week, and then we also have farmers who come in seasonally as their crops come in. Some farmers just do tomatoes. Some just do uh peas and okra, some of the summer stuff, and then we have our blueberry farmers and our peach farmers. So over the course of last year, we had 55 different vendors at the market.
0: Wow, and that is impressive. And most come
3: within a 60 to 80 mile radius. That's you know,
0: cool. You mentioned the Gulf shrimp. You must have a vendor who either drives down to get the Gulf shrimp or drives up. Uh, who, who brings in your shrimp?
3: We've got a, a vendor who's been doing this for a long time. He is based up here in Oxford, and he drives down weekly to get uh, fresh shrimp and sometimes fish from the coast and brings it back up here. Um, and also during the, the winter, he'll bring up some citrus fruit as well from the coast.
0: Ah, satsumas and stuff like that.
3: Betsy,
1: us uh, What what do y'all do? If you have, in, do you have any kind of outreach programs that address? food insecurity or are helping people get through this crisis?
3: Yes. So from the very beginning, this market has been focused on playing a role in addressing food insecurity in our town. Um, It's a huge problem that so many people face. It's not just about hunger, but it's about access to sufficient quantities of healthy, good, fresh food that we think everybody deserves. So we have had in place for a while programs to help address this. Um, First off, people can shop with their SNAP dollars or their food stamp dollars at the market, and when they do, we give them a dollar-for-dollar match to help those families get more fresh, healthy food. Um, We also do a weekly fresh food drive for the Oxford Food Pantry, and we also have a program called Market Fresh Gift Cards which provides 20 to $30 in gift cards each week for families to come and shop at the market for things that they know their families will like to eat. Well, how are the people that receive the gift cards selected? So we have long had relationships with a lot of community partners and agencies that are working with people who might be food insecure. So we really count on them to help champion our programs and tell their clients about them. And then we get referrals to them. Um, and we've done over the years a lot of community outreach at the food pantry, through DHS, through other organizations that are working with people who might have this need.
0: So you open up on Tuesdays only, correct? And it's at three. you open at 3 p.m. P. in the afternoon? Do I have that right?
3: That's right. Every Tuesday, 3 to 6.30, Old Armory Pavilion, rain or shine. Or pandemic.
0: Right. Nothing can stop the Oxford community market.
3: That's our (laughs)
1: hope. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Yeah, you know, Betsy, I was thinking about when you were describing uh, the new setup, the new reality. You know, for people like me growing up, you want to touch your fruits and vegetables. That's got to be hard for people who can't handle them and touch them and poke them.
3: I think it is. Our customers are so used to interacting with our vendors and with the products and picking up the tomatoes to find the one that really speaks to them so there's lots of changes and the everyone who's at the market we're people persons our vendors our customers we enjoy the social aspect of this type of commerce so there are some big changes for us but we are really grateful that the customers are still coming and they're shopping and it's keeping us going
4: Great.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Deep South Dining and let us know if there's any way that we can help promote the market or support you either at the Arts Commission or at MPB Think Radio or Carol or Malcolm personally. Thank you so much and very good luck to you as things hopefully begin to get back to something of normal.
3: Thank you so much for having us and
0: uh, you stay safe. Bye. All right, folks, it's time for a break. We want to once again thank Chapman for joining us today and sharing with her all about the Oxford Community Market. It opens at 3 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons 3 to 6 there in the Old Armory in Oxford right off of University Avenue. When we return, we will talk to Chef Melissa Martin all about her new cookbook, which is being called A Valentine to Cajun Cooking, the Mosquito Supper Club. So stay tuned and we will be right back.
1: Thank <laughs> you.
5: And we're back. This is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. I'm Java Chapman, and I usually don't talk a lot on this show, but I have a, a little bit of an announcement, Malcolm and Carol. Uh, one of our good friends, uh, Jackie from Byram, she just called in. She wanted to uh, say that she loved the show, and the Facebook page has given her so much comfort. Also, an update about the farmer's market on High Street. They are open. I know we were talking about that a little bit off um, off mic was the the uh, farmers market on High Street open. It is open and they have all the booths open to the outside so you don't have to go into the building. So we were supporting the community market in Oxford and also the one in High Street is open.
0: All right. So for those of you who live in Jackson or the uh, Metro Jackson uh, area, know that your local farmer market is open down at the fairgrounds. And we look forward this time of year. I, we all look so forward to gathering down there and buying plants and swapping stories and picking out cucumbers and tomatoes. And it's, it's just a joyful time. And it's just one of those everyday things that we sort of take for granted uh, here in the south, in the deep south, that uh, this time of year will be the farmer markets. All right, Carol, it's now time for us to welcome our guest from down around uh, New Orleans area. Uh, she is a chef and a restaurateur. Her, her debut cookbook has really uh, hit with a splash. It debuted on April 14. Uh, it's in, it has the same title as her restaurant, Mosquito Supper Club. And we want to welcome and thank Melissa Martin for joining us this morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you?
2: I'm doing good. Are yeah. you
0: sheltered in New Orleans or down uh, on the bio?
2: No, I am in New Orleans, Louisiana, in my home in Mid City. Great. Well, well I
1: Melissa, t- I want to be the first to
2: say of Malcolm and me,
1: that <laughs> your book is stunning. I haven't been this excited about a cookbook in a long time. It is gorgeous, and your writing
2: is beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, Denny Colbert did the um, photography, and he is an amazing photographer. So he really was able to, what I what I call um, shooting my feelings, where we would go down the bay, and I would say, this is how I feel about this, and then he would have to shoot it. No. Well, oh, that's, that's so true. interesting so we that this-
1: you say that because the, I mean the photographs really were. Uh, I mean it, it it almost put put you there. I mean I had a lot of feeling seeing them and and I want to know more about him. Is he from New Orleans?
0: Uh oh, did we lose Melissa?
5: Yeah, I think we're gonna uh, we're gonna try okay. to try to get Melissa back real quick.
0: All right. Well, you know, Carol, uh, as we're waiting for Melissa to, to dial back in, you know, I'm in my basement on Gillespie Street. You're out at Meadowbrook. Uh, we're working remotely on Skype. It is it is quite a challenge uh, to conduct a, uh, a, a, rest, a radio show like this. And Carol's holding up. Y'all can't see this. She's holding up a giant red onion. You want to talk about that, Carol?
1: Well, I talked about it earlier. I just wanted you, Malcolm, to see my 2.6-pound onion. Because... <laughs> Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know if you believe me, but it's the It's almost my, as big as your head. Your head. I, I know it, it is. But um, I know we both read Melissa's book. I read it. I read it online, and I think you got an uncorrected proof. And I mean, just stunning is the only word. You know, yeah, I, can, I can use. It's very it not emotional.
0: A, that's right. It's not only very beautiful. Uh, But it's well-written. It's full of great, great, great recipes. I mean, Melissa grew up uh, down in Terrebonne Parish. Uh, Her family uh, are and were fishermen. And so she grew up in a a life that a lot of us think of as romantic, living on the water, living on the bio. Uh, To her, it was just, you know, it was just childhood. And she writes so clearly in here about the emotions of growing up, going away, which a lot of us do. Can't wait to get out of uh, the place where you grew up. And then you go away and you get as far away as you can. In her case, she traveled out to uh, Napa, uh, to the Napa Valley, uh, just to get out of uh, the swamp of Louisiana. But of course, like many of us, got out there and discovered what she really loved, which was home. And she eventually made her way back uh, to New Orleans, opened up this Fantastic concept of a restaurant, the Mosquito Supper Club. Now, I haven't been there. Have you?
1: I have not, but I really want to. I I believe she still only takes 24 reservations, and I can't wait to get her back on the phone to ask her about this. Well, you don't have to wait
5: um, anymore, Carol. Uh, Melissa is back with us.
2: Oh, hey, Melissa. (laughs) Hey, I don't know what happened. So we Uh, did expand a little bit, and now we can see 36. And um, we have a bar, so you can actually just come in. Well, not right now, but you can actually just come in and have a drink with us and order a la carte of our um, bar menu. Um, but, yeah, to start, we um, were 24 people. Um, everyone sat down at the same time at two long farm tables, and we did one caged tasting menu at 730, which lasted, you know, two and a half hours to three hours, depending on, um, how long guests wanted to sit and, um, congregate. Um, but I had, whenever I would uh, travel in Europe and I would have dinner places, you know, the meal always lasts so long. Um, and I wanted people to be able to have that experience. I didn't want to, um, make them feel like I I needed to turn their table. And so we only do one seating a night for that reason. And so how many tables do you have now? So right now we have three farm tables in our main room. We have a seats of the bar and then we have an outside patio area. So the last weekend we served dinner. So on March 14th, no one ate family style. Everyone was separated all over the restaurant. Um, unless you were a family. We had a we had a 12 top that night and they were all related. They sat together. Um, but we had to, you know, separate folks, and people still really enjoyed it, and they said it was a really special night, and so we have to transition to what, you know, what the world um, expects of us now. So I think we'll be more, um, if you come in as a family, we'll feed you family style, but I think if you come in as a two-top, then you'll sit as a two-top, and we won't mingle everyone, um, you know, for now. When we get to react. so, are you, do you still do a tasting
1: menu every night? It's everybody gets the same food.
3: Yes.
2: So we, um, our menu is based on what we can get um, on a daily basis. Um, we work with small farms, fishermen, um, millers, um, and so we try to, um, I guess, be react to what is around us. Um, if we can get soft shell shrimp one day, we'll do soft shell shrimp. Um, depending on the way we can get the farmer's market or local farmer's, that's what the salad's going to be. Um, the dessert is always indicative of what's in season. So um, we we normally are just cooking, you know, what we can get um, for each night. And so it's one menu. We do accommodate people yeah. who have food allergies or vegetarians. Um, I always do tell the vegetarians, like, we didn't eat anything vegetarian growing up. So, uh, you know, it's the, the vegetarian menu doesn't really tell the story, but if you're coming with friends and you're a vegetarian, you're still going to have a good time.
1: So the restaurant tells the story of the place that you grew up and the place that you still call home. And uh, I suppose that the recipes are some of the, the very recipes that you learned in the kitchens in Terrebonne Parish.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing I talk about in the book is that I didn't cook growing up. Um, my mom went in a very uh, serious kitchen. Uh, she cooked for six kids and my dad. Um, and there was always watchovers from my grandmother who lived next door or any of my aunts and uncles who came in through the door. So at any time you could come in and you could eat with us. Uh, so she cooked very, very large meals. So I learned production from watching her. But I didn't learn how to cook until I was older because um, she wanted everyone out her kitchen. Um, But when I was older (laughs) and I wanted to learn how, when I wanted to learn how to cook the Cajun food, I knew what it needed to taste like to be the food that I grew up eating. And so, um, with her help, mostly over the phone, um, I would she would tell me you know what she used, and then I would cook it until it tasted like hers. And I knew I had sort of cracked the code when I would taste something and you know I would light up because I would say, oh wow. You know, this is how my mom makes it, or this is how my grandmother makes it, or this is how my aunt makes it. Um, But, yeah, it wasn't until later on that I actually learned how to put all these recipes together.
0: All right. We're going to take a break, and then when we come back, we hope to be rejoined by Melissa Martin to talk about her fantastic new cookbook, The Mosquito Supper Club, same name as her restaurant in New Orleans. And when she comes back, we're going to find out, Carol, where that restaurant is. So we can go. We're also going to talk about the disappearing bio and that part of the country where she grew up uh, that is changing ever so rapidly. When we come back again, it'll be a conversation with Melissa Martin, Carol Puckett, and myself. So please stay tuned.
5: no matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone. Everyday tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the
0: MPB public media app. Good morning and welcome back to Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett. Good morning, Carol. Hey, now, how's it going? So there far, so basement. good. Yeah, I'm down here in the basement on uh, Gillespie Street. I hope that Melissa Martin is back on the line with us. We've had a little bit of technical difficulties, but such as life, it is not the easiest of times. But, uh, Melissa, are you back?
5: Not yet. We're still working on that, not Malcolm. Yet. Yeah, sorry about that. That's
0: cool. That's all right. So, well, Carol, you I... know, uh, I was going to say this. This coming Thursday, uh, I was supposed to have a conversation with Melissa. Uh As a debut rollout book signing of her brand new book, uh, you know, at Cathead uh, Distillery, it it was a Lemuria bookstore event. And she and I were going to have this long, rambling conversation about her new book, her growing up uh, on the bio, her influences, uh, and and all of the factors that have gone into producing this magnificent, magnificent book, uh, again, also entitled Mosquito Supper Club. Was published on its published date was uh, April fourteenth, and, and and as I said, this coming Thursday, she and I were supposed to be uh, sitting down for a long conversation, and I really regret that. So, uh, but but you and I are fortunate enough that that I got a uh, uncorrected proof, and you got a online download of the book, so we've been able yeah. to at least experience it.
1: Well, and and the book can be ordered online from Lemuria and the other independent bookstores, and you know although all the bookstores aren't open. You know, you can call and I know here they'll bring books to the curb for you. That's one of my, one of my regular events, but Malcolm, this book really, really touched me. Her writing is, I mean, it's poetic. Uh, I don't know if you felt like that.
0: Yeah. I really enjoyed it. It was beautiful. I'm a lot like you. I, I sat down to thumb through it and two hours later uh, yeah. I found that I was reading every word. Uh, she, she does a magnificent job of, of describing the landscape, you know setting the table of, of her background, her childhood. I just love hearing her talk about uh, you know visiting with her grandparents uh, and her mom on these recipes and she she jokingly said that her mom uh, had a very organized kitchen. There were six kids, and you couldn't hang out in the kitchen because she was she was uh, about business as usual. And, and I was thinking, you know, I, had, I was raised by grandparents, and my, I had two grandmothers, and one was just like the way Melissa described her mom. She would shoo us out of the kitchen, and we were not allowed to touch the pots and pans unless she wanted to show us something and we were constantly being shooed out of the kitchen and my other grandmother that was my grandmother atsy uh, taylor white and my other grandmother uh vashti stewart uh would welcome us into the kitchen and we were welcome to sit around and stir the pots and bang around in the kitchen so it was a very interesting uh juxtaposition uh, of the two grandmothers
5: all right guys melissa well- is back on the line we're, we're oh, trying, oh, we're no trying again.
1: Melissa. You're having a tough morning
2: down there with the phone. <laughs> I know, Chris, my phone never drops calls, so I'm I'm not sure what's going on with it. Oh well, well here's the- we were we were waxing
1: eloquent about your book uh, for you, and I was about to tell Malcolm, as I was reading the book, and I really did read it. Uh, I I was scribbling down. Sentences and lines, and one of my favorite that was actually in the introduction, you said there was gumbo in the refrigerator and an oil rig out the window.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think I, I realized that whenever I was researching this, I said one day, Mom, do you remember when they set up that oil rig just like a football field from my bedroom window? And we're like, Yeah. We had sort of blocked it out of our memory. It was like right next to the elementary school, which if I looked out my bedroom window, it was a field, a farmer's field, and then my elementary school, and then this oil rig. Um, and and then, yeah, as far as the freezer, I mean, it's always full of fish and gumbo and shrimp. And if you're hungry when you show up there, there's always something to pull out in the frost.
1: Yeah, and you, know. you, you said that people down in that area have Huge
2: freezers, yes,
1: yeah, because there's freezers. so many, so much fish, so many crabs.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's you it's know, like a new way of preserving things.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I love the story where you sort of describe drying the shrimp on the dock and then later freezing the shrimp, and it was very interesting to think back to the time when the only way to preserve shrimp. Uh, was to literally put it out on the dock and dry it. That, that's fascinating.
2: Yeah, my mom remembers that process so vividly. Um, you know, when it would rain, how they would have to rake all the shrimp in a pile and put a tarp over it. Um, and, you know, that's the way it was done. And then dried shrimp was used in gumbos to uh, season. It was just eaten as a snack. Um, I mean, it's still used a lot in Thai food and salads and things. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, when you go to get dried shrimp at the gas station now, you can get it in little packs. Like They sell out every day. So if you get there early, so you can really? get a pack of dried shrimp if you want it as a snack. So.
4: Wow.
1: Well, a lot of the book is devoted to you know, the disappearing bayou and you know, saving the things that are so important there. And um, talk a little bit about the changes since you were a child that you've seen in that part of Louisiana?
2: Well, you know, every time we would have a hurricane, you know, there's always a the sentiment of, oh, there's nothing left. And then you have another hurricane, you're like, oh, God, no, there's really nothing left. But I think that as, you know, my parents uh, were growing up, they actually saw, um, you know, everything that used to be cane fields is not water. You know, um, everywhere we used to be able to walk, uh, which just bayous through the land is now a lake. Um, uh, for me, you know, I mostly saw it in coquetry because when I could start realizing that you know things were gone, things were really already gone.
0: Well, doggone it, we lost her again. She was well, just we'll explaining to, just, to us we
2: about Melissa.
0: She was just explaining about that part of the world where she grew up and how the land erosion uh climate change uh really uh, industrialization that was very poignant when you pointed out that piece in her introductory where there was a pot of gumbo on the stove and she looked out the window and saw an oil rig well there are a lot of pressures put on that part of the world uh, climate change hurricanes uh erosion of the coast uh and and also you know drilling and the petroleum industry you know louisiana uh, only has two industries that are of any size one is tourism and the other is petroleum and so they have long drilled uh, and taken from the land in that part of the world and I think she really uh, uh, very clearly articulates that part of her childhood and her life and her looking back on the on this what, what she calls the disappearing bio and the sort of that end of, of Louisiana just slowly moving out into the Gulf.
1: Well, one one of the statistics that she quoted, and I've heard it before, is that every day they lose the equivalent of four football fields worth of land. And that part of Louisiana has lost a landmass the size of Delaware. So yeah, you know it's we, unbelievable. Think of, we think of Louisiana as that boot and that in that foot but that the footprint of of, Louis, of louisiana is changing and I, I love to fish down there my brother has a cabin and you know uh, john and i have been fly fishing for redfish and it's it's beautiful but it, it's so eerie to see the flocks of pelicans in the beautiful bayous and swamps and then these towering concrete oil rigs that have been abandoned and you know I, i just can't believe that that they don't have to do something with them but it you know just all through the landscape yeah you see these skyscrapers
0: yeah and and you know melissa tells that story in her book the mosquito supper club but she also tells the story of the bountiful waters the beautiful flora and fauna and and the uh, you know, growing up there and all of the rich, rich culture and heritage of her family, uh, who she said growing up, she didn't know that she was a Cajun. You know, uh, you know, I didn't know I was a redneck. So, you know,
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you just are what you are. And then one day you actually can look at who you are and, and make some sort of judgments. And this book uh, is really well written uh, from the perspective of a of an adult. Professional chef, restaurateur, writer, looking back on a childhood that is, in theory, gone. Uh, that that you know that sense of place is still there, but a lot of the landmarks and landscape uh, has has really just disappeared uh, into the water and into the Gulf of Mexico. And you know, Carol, funny thing about people like us who live in Mississippi, we call the Mississippi Delta. The land uh, where the Mississippi River runs through, but they—the real delta is down there where where Melissa grew up. That's the actual delta of the Mississippi River,
1: where all the bayou spread out from the river. Um, right. I was thinking about you when I was reading this book. There, she has four pages of photographs on how to eat a crab.
0: I love that.
1: Excuse me. And I was thinking, if somebody that has never eaten a crab, even looking at this book um, and looking at how hard it is, I mean, anything that's four pages worth, 14 pictures worth, I don't know that anybody would ever tackle it for the little... Yeah, you know, when the when the pictures get to the end, they're uh, holding it in one hand. It's a <laughs> lot of description for yeah you know, for a little piece of of stuff. Hey, my a lot of Carol. work Carol, a little bit of
0: love.
5: Before we get out of here, um, I know we had a tough time with Melissa, but we do have um one of our old friends, Kathleen from Osaka, on the line. She says she got some some uh, Gulf shrimp not too long ago, and uh, did some. What uh, Kathleen, what did you do with those shrimp?
4: Well, I tell you what, I thought about y'all and how things pass, and we always see packaged shrimp from wherever, so they had a, a little store in here, we, we're real close to the Louisiana border called Sullivan's, and they had wild shrimp, and I said, well, they got the shell on, it's a little bit of trouble, but let's go ahead and try them. I want you to know, I took some bell peppers, cooked them separately, uh, onions, carrots, and celery, and then I added some rice, and I cheated a little bit. I used the McCormick's white pepper gravy mix, but instead of adding water, I made a stock from the shells. And I'm still uh. it. And it was so much from home. We don't get those opportunities. And my grandmother was raised out there in the Bayou, and uh, her name was Alma Lemoyne. Only four foot eleven, but boy, she was feisty. And some of the stories <laughs> she thought, we are really missing those things. The flowers on the bayou they used to tell me how they used to make wreaths and put them on their doors or make a little bucket and put the flowers in the bucket silly little things that we we just don't do but uh the wild shrimp is still there they were delicious a friend that ate it swore it was the best thing he ever ate and i said how do i pay you <laughs> <laughs> we well to-
0: kathleen we appreciate you calling in and we always appreciate you listening we appreciate all of those who join us on Monday mornings here on MPB Think Radio for Deep South Dining. Our show is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributors from listeners like yourself. And our show is produced by the one and only Java Chapman. And we appreciate Carol Puckett always co-hosting and being the historian and the researcher and the brains behind this operation We had two guests today, Betsy Chapman from up in Oxford and Chef Melissa Martin, who we had a little difficulty with, but we'll have her back and do a whole show and talk about her cookbook, the Mosquito Supper Club. Please stay tuned now for Marshall Ramsey. Now You're Talking, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. Join us every Monday right here at 9 o'clock in the morning on Deep South Dining, MPB Think Radio.